Uh, well, welcome everybody this morning. How are we? Good, good. Are we enjoying the, the brisk weather at the moment? Man, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? A great time of year. Great time of year on the Gold Coast. And how wonderful is it, um, a chance to see what's going on practically in Uganda? Uh, and, and I think there's a couple of important things that from the beginning, when we were meeting in, um, in uh, Ron Jeanette's lounge room, we've supported the missions fund to uh, Uganda and I think broadly that and, and uh, at one point we actually sort of did a tally as to the uh, the countries that we reach as this congregation and between between this congregation and Rod and Jeanette and Ainsley and I and um, uh, and and the Ignite Lifes all of the other Ignite Lifes that have sort of work in Uganda, there are missionaries in Thailand, There's uh, so we have compassion children in the Philippines, we uh, support Japan, we, uh, and then we're just going on, it was like country after country after country. It is amazing what a difference you can make uh, and what a difference we make collectively as a church. So um, just congratulations, everybody. <laughs> You're making this happen. It's, uh, and and it's, it's good to see the practical outworkings of our generosity and your generosity as individuals and our generosity as a church um, in the world. That's what it is. So what about, you know, looking after widows and orphans, preaching the good news, and these people are seeing a practical example of the love of Christ in and through their lives, and it's going to make a difference. I'm looking forward to the stories when these children are, have grown up, they've gone to uni, and they're starting to become influencers in that nation, doctors and nurses, lawyers and teachers, people who are going to change the face of Uganda. And uh, that's, that's what we're really looking forward to, ultimately. So we are going to continue on. This is the final week woo, for our series on generosity. Anybody who's missed it, man, you have to have a listen. It's on iTunes. Rod's done weeks one, two, and three. It is comprehensive. Uh, it is um, enlightening. It is a scriptural basis for for. for Everything we talk about in, in generosity over the last three weeks, you will have. There is definitely stuff you will have not heard before. There's definitely a way of looking at the world that that I think is empowering and enlightening, that takes away fear and condemnation and raises people up to be, you know, generous in their lives, in every aspect of their lives. And so I, I really encourage you, if you get a chance, you're kind of getting part four of a three part, of a four part series. So have a listen to the first three. Um, let it challenge you, meditate on it, and and be inspired because that's what it's ultimately all about. Um, so I'd like to come back to the law. And uh, so something we've covered is, is a little bit of a summary this week and uh, a little bit of a personal, personal take on things. We've talked a lot about the law and, and what it means and what it means for us. It's great, uh, great... Um, you know, there's great debates that go on in, in Christianity over time, faith versus works, you know, law versus grace, how we're supposed to interpret it. And you get people that sort of lean quite quite legalistic, um, you know, from that verse, not one jot or tittle, or uh, as I always remember it from my father, the way my father used to say it, not one iota of the law passes away. And, uh, and, and, and I've always been inspired by... Romans 5, and we'll come to that a little bit later. What is the purpose of the law? Well, we covered that a couple of weeks back. The purpose of the law is to make us aware of what sin actually is. So we have a standard. And um, 
you know, in in uh, you know, Paul talks about how it's like written on the hearts of man. In other words, from the well, the way that we see it is from the beginning, from creation, God instilled in us a sense of what right and wrong was as part of His special creation. We have this internal. Um, in other words, the law is written on our hearts before it was written down on paper, right? And uh, this moral standard that we have is 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 a function of that. And it's kind of interesting for me, uh, just if you forgive a brief excursion into the world of apologetics, <laughs> because um, morality, in a sense, doesn't really have a logical basis in, in that it is very, very difficult to construct a... Um, purely rational argument as to why we should be moral or why we should be particularly moral. Uh, you might say that sounds ridiculous, but if you think about it, most of us would agree that it's wrong to kill, right? Yeah. Okay. And why do we believe that it's wrong to kill? Because the Bible said, yeah. But I if we didn't have that moral compass, why? It's against the law. Why is it against? I mean, in other words, right, so we make these appeals, but ultimately I'm saying, what is it that makes us feel uneasy about taking the life of another human being? We don't want someone to take our lives? Yeah, yeah. In other words, we could argue that, you know, we have these laws because we just want to get on with each other. This is the argument that you end up coming into. The reality is that outside of God, it's very difficult to create a moral compass. And the fact that we have this thing inside of us that says... This is wrong is testament to the fact that we are created by God. And it's a great argument in terms of apologetics because it's sort of saying, well, if human beings are sort of pre-programmed to observe certain sorts of morality, surely that is sort of the hallmarks of a creator rather than something that's just arrived through, you know, hundreds of millions of years worth of trying things out. So that's a little diversion just to try and sort of, you know, encourage you in your faith a little bit. The law makes us aware of sin. It's written on our hearts. But it cannot ultimately save. It is an impossible standard. We know this because, uh, well, we have examples in history. Most of the Old Testament is basically Israel getting close to the law, falling away from the law, getting close to the law, falling away from the law, getting close to God, falling away from God. God showing mercy and grace in that process. So we need not feel condemned because we can't live up to the law. Why should we feel condemned? Israel couldn't. <laughs> right? We have the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says we are so much better than the things that drag us down. So much better than the sin that we return to. But that's encouraging. That's life-giving. That's the kind of thing that can make a change in a person's life. The law brings change for a season but then it's easy to step away from it and and i say this based on i guess observation in my own world but also observation in human history <laughs> we've had moments where you got perhaps a change where people will shift and then or nations will shift and then they fall away the example is repeated over and over in the bible so what about in the area of giving where people come out and go Law, 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 law. Well, there's no point feeling condemned about that. Why is there no point feeling condemned about it? Well, we saw some statistics last week. Um, we know that, well, two things. Firstly, we know that Malachi was written to 
Israel at a time when they had fallen away from the law, both in terms of moral obligations, but also in terms of their giving. And so obviously they had periods where they were good at it and they kind of fell away and they couldn't reach the standard law. And the reality is that once you break it once, it's broken, you know. And we also see that for all of the rhetoric and haranguing and, you know, you can go to service after service after service where they'll talk about, you know, 10% and this and that and that and they'll make you feel great and you feel, you know, all right, I better put something in there otherwise I'm going to get in trouble type thing, right? <laughs> Which is totally not who we are in case you haven't noticed, right? Everybody clear on that? <laughs> Everybody clear? We can see from the statistics from surveys from last week where we had a look and it's sort of saying, well, you know, percentage of, uh, of people in different income brackets that give 10%, it's about 47% in the middle income bracket, tapers down to 10% in the lower income bracket, tapers down to 20% in the lower income bracket as well. So, and, and I, would, I would sort of concur with that with figures that I say when you actually look at churches, generally the giving is, is somewhere between the high 2% up to about 4.5%, right? So we can see from observable evidence that obviously we can't meet up to the law in and of our own strength, right? Everybody kind of clear on that. So, so stop feeling bad about it, <laughs> all right? <laughs> because it's an impossible standard. And God knew it was an impossible standard. Not only is it an impossible standard, it also cannot produce, well, and, and uh, maybe this is my personal observation, Okay, I don't think, barring a couple of corner cases, I imagine, that it can produce long-term positive change. And that's really what we're about, aren't we? We can make a change for a season, and that's interesting, but what does it take to actually make a pivot? What does it take to reach a point where life takes a different course, an empowered course, where it's better than it was before? And the point that we have as post-resurrection Christians, as, as Rod covered last week in, 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 in great detail and, and, and it's really good, is that we need what to move beyond, in a sense. Coming to Romans 5, verse 18 to 21. Consequently, just as one uh, trespass of sin resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so also through the obedience of one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that sin might increase. So that means that we might be aware of what sin was, or at least more aware of what sin was. But where sin abounded... Grace abounded all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus changed the basis by which we engage in life. He upped the standard, in a sense. We heard about that. So what does this righteousness mean for us? Well, as we heard at the beginning, uh, from the perspective of the Hebrew, righteousness and generosity could be seen as two sides of the same coin. In other words, if a person was righteous, one aspect or fruit of that was in their generosity. That means generosity perhaps in finances, but also in terms of actions, deeds, words, speech, all of the things that as we interact with our world, we are generous with people. 
Now, I think this is fascinating because I was listening. I've been listening. We listened to Freakonomics, the podcast, and uh, man, I, you know, I love I love some stuff because they do some. They hear about some amazing studies that they do on people, and then there were two points that really stuck out from the last few weeks. Um, the first was they were looking at the uh, they were looking at a strange effect because there's this, there's this economic theory that says um, the amount given to charity is like if you imagine the amount given to a charity to do what they need to do um, is is kind of like a fixed amount. In other words, if there's more government funding, one dollar comes in from the government, then theoretically it should work out that there's one dollar less coming in from private. Um, private donations. Uh, th this is sort of the theory, the sort of conservative theory they have about. But it was observed that this wasn't actually true, that they found that, you know, for um, one dollar um, that was given to the government, private funding only decreased something like 30 to 50 cents, not a full dollar. And, uh, and they were saying, well, what, this doesn't make sense. Why is this? Because the basis of much economic theorem is that you know, people act more or less entirely selfishly uh, for their own best interests. So altruism confuses things. It makes the model difficult. And uh, they basically found that, by and large, when they looked at a range of different people, um, people continued to give because they felt they were getting something out of it. <laughs> Warm fuzzies, uh, a good feeling maybe assuaging a little bit of guilt. Um, social standing, if they'd been seen to be giving a lot of money to charity. But generally, they found that people felt there was some kind of tangible benefit, by and large, over large groups of people, some kind of tangible benefit. And I, I was listening to this because I thought this was kind of funny. Um, and the, the thing that came to my mind, uh, there was an album many, many years ago now, shows my age, Welcome to the Freak Show by DC Talk. as a live album. And yeah, it was on, on like, we played it all the time. If you grew up in a church, you would be familiar with that album because it was, you know, divide right down the middle. <laughs> people who hated it, people who loved it, people thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And there's this song that, the cover song they do in there called In the Light. And uh, there's a line in that that says, you know, this only serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm still a man in need of a savior. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I love that line so much. And I hear this stuff about human nature and when they kind of break it down and study it and sort of say this, kind of say, well, actually, people generally give because they feel like they're getting something in return. And it kind of like, yeah, that kind of confirms my suspicion that I, at least personally, I am still a man in need of a savior. <laughs> because the nature of the human is like very apparent in that kind of thing. Yeah. So this is the point. What we're not talking about here is playing God Lotto, um, you know, and it, treating God like he's some kind of like magical um, poker machine or something along those lines. What we hear about is the motivation to give and to be generous as God was generous with us. You know, the word that's often used for God's love is agape. And... Uh, you would have heard that word a lot, and, and um, it is sometimes translated as charity in the KJV. It's also the word that's used in the well, First Corinthians 13, the love verse, and love is patient, love is kind. Yeah, and it's often translated in the KJV version as charity. 
And this is very, very important. You're going to learn something, so, so please listen up closely. If you hang around long enough, you'll probably be asked to read that verse at a wedding. If you're going to read it, read it in the KJV because it's translated charity. And you will get punched at the end of the... Uh, <laughs> the greatest of these is charity. Because... So people think about think think it's about love, and it is. It is about love. It's kind of about the aspirational love that you develop between a husband and wife over a long period of time. But it's actually about the love of God expressed to us. And what is the difference between that love and maybe the other types of love that we talk about? Is that agape love ultimately is um, it's love that's given in the absence of any selfish desire. See, when Christ, when, when Christ came to earth and died because God loved us, that wasn't because God thought he was going to get something back. That was an act of love devoid of selfish desire. So when we're generous, which is an outworking of our righteousness, and all of you are righteous because when God looks at you he sees Christ not you so thereby therefore by definition all of you are generous right so you're by definition righteous even though occasionally you sin you're by definition generous even though perhaps the external evidence is not always obvious and, and I, I don't say that to say that it's, it's not always obvious in my life, too. If you ever catch me on a bad day, watch out. <laughs> but, but do you see what I mean? There's a difference between your definition and sometimes your action. It's great. So why, you know, why be generous? Well, I think the primary argument is that generosity strikes at the heart of the worship of money and mammon. I sometimes think we have, an we have a difficult place in our society because we put money at the center of it and then we say worship God. Um, but I, I don't think that's a new problem. If you ever feel uncomfortable when people are talking about money in church, that's kind of all right. If you ever feel uncomfortable when people are talking about offerings in church, that's kind of all right. How do I know that that's all right? Well, the first murder recorded in the Bible was about an offering. <laughs> <laughs> We've been struggling with this stuff from the get-go. What we're going to do is make it easy. We're going to work through it together. Matthew 6, 24. A man cannot serve, or a woman cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love one, hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, both God and money, both God and the material nature of the world. It's not to say that the material nature is evil. That is a slight confusion from Greek thinking. It is just simply to say that you can't serve both. Matthew 6, 21, going a little bit further, where your heart is, your treasure is. I find that particularly confronting because I'm thinking, well, where is my treasure? Where is my heart? And, and that can be quite difficult. What did I spend the most money on last week? Well... I bought 
a large amount of cheese. <laughs> My heart is in cheese. But can you see what I'm getting at? Where your heart is, there your treasure is. People, I have heard people say that, oh, you don't understand. I don't, you know, I don't have money. I don't have this. I don't, and I, and I, I, I agree that that is, that is a case. That is, that is a difficulty. And I don't want to put people under pressure in this circumstance. But when you have a moment, I would encourage everybody to take a little step back and look at where they put their treasure. Because sometimes people do have means and do have resources, whether they're aware of them or not aware of them. And not for our benefit, but for your own benefit, it is worth working out what you value and what you treasure and making sure that you're, that you're making an effort to put your treasure where your heart truly is. Because ultimately, that's the most fulfillment you're going to get. That's the most impact you're going to make. And that is, you know, the plan of God for your life to be a generous person. So I, I, would, I would genuinely encourage you to sort of self-evaluate. We all have choice. We have choice about the resources that we have. We live in a country that, for better or for worse, gives us a large amount of economic choice in comparison to people, say, in Uganda, where, but for the actions of this, but for the actions of people in this church, the people in the Ignite Life movement, uh, the lives of those children is very much devoid of choice. <laughs> uh, they will go to school for a brief period of time and they'll go to work in a menial job rather than having a future. So uh, we do have choice. Um, well, do you want to hear something kind of amusing, right? Try not to get offended because it's not meant to be offensive. <laughs> There's a... Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a funny joke I heard once uh, that was sort of talking about how the different how you could tell the difference between if someone is and this is in the UK where the class system is quite distinct the difference between if you can tell someone is working class or middle class is whether they have a TV that's larger than their bookshelf <laughs> or a bookshelf that's larger than their TV. <laughs> I don't say that to make people feel bad. I say it because where your priorities are, your treasure is. The things that you value show up in your life around. And in that, it's not to say that big TVs or large bookshelves or extensive libraries, both of which can be, you know, insane. Um, I, I would not say that one is better than the other because I have had very heavy theology books fall from a great height and land on my head. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so television is probably less dangerous than, than an extensive library. But it's worth the effort to have a look around, to decide what you want to do in your life and then pursue it. That's that's the only statement I'll make about that. Um, so that was the first thing. It strikes a blow against the material world. It strikes a blow against worshipping the material world, I should say. So what else? Generosity. Well, here we go. Here's an interesting one for you. You can disagree with me on this. 
Generosity reduces anxiety. Why on earth would I say that? That's actually something I was thinking about. Proverbs 12.25 Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word, sometimes a generous word, cheers it up. What about, we go back to the Beatitudes, which I'm leaning on a fair bit at the moment. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 33. This is what happens when you don't copy it down first. Anyway. It's all right. You get the proper preacher next week. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough anxiety of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? I know this to be true because of personal testimony. It's very hard to worry about things when what I have is God's. What I have is to his glory. He did not bring me to this point to drop me from a great height. I'm not an object lesson for other people. Now, this has been a, a tremendous struggle in my life. I was not a giver. I was not a generous person. I still have my moments. Especially with people. But I can speak from a certain amount of personal testimony that my life is much better for being a generous person. My life has more meaning for being a generous person. My, my life and my, my actions line up more closely with what I feel to be the call of God on my life because I am a generous person. And ultimately, I am a generous person by definition, even if occasionally not by action. Jesus had the authority to say this. Love God and love people. He had the authority to say this because if you read the rest of the Beatitudes, he had just turned to the natural order of things upside down. Blessed are those who mourn. You ever seen someone mourn? Yet in God's eyes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You ever seen someone who's really poor? Truly poor. Blessed are the poor. Man, that's a change in definition if ever there was one. So, we're going to get out a little bit early today. But we're not off the hook. I have a, a, a challenge for this week. The encouragement is that you seek God this week as to how you are to outwork practical generosity in your life. This is not designed to make people feel bad. 
so that they'll start giving or give more or get another sponsor child or give a homeless guy 50 bucks on the side of the street, right? It's not motivating people to feel bad. But I desire true change in my life. And more than that, I desire true change in the lives of those around me so that they start to live for the purposes that God has for them so that they start to impact the world around them for God if that resonates with you in any way if that speaks to your heart on any level then I would encourage you this week to set aside some time to seek God to pray listen to some podcasts whatever it takes to get you closer to God but the question is how can what sorry God how do you want me to outwork generosity in my life practically Jesus came and raised the standard we're not going to sit here and tell you all you got to do is give x percent and you'll be right you need to seek God on that for yourself and be clear, have a, have a clear idea of what he is wanting you to do in this area and then pursue it. That's the point. The law says do not murder. Christ said if anyone looks at his brother in anger, sorry, is angry with his brother or calls his brother fool, which, I mean, I've done that a lot. He's a murderer. Christ raised the standard. That means that while we don't abandon the law, we are not righteous because of the law. But we are obligated to seek God, to seek His will for the situation. And then to be able to proceed confidently in the basis that what you're doing is not only pleasing to God, but is bringing about the change and purposes that He has for your life and the lives of those around you. Ask God how he wants you to outwork practical generosity towards others, towards the church that you call home, towards the community in which you live, and in any other areas that he brings to mind. So we're going to break shortly for morning tea. I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you're not condemned. I hope that you see the good things that God has in store for your lives just around the bend. And I hope that this, along with other topics, because this idea of permanent, lasting, God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired change is something we want to do in all areas. You know, this isn't just about generosity. We'll talk about other things, and then at the end we're going to be going, well, what does this mean? How does this change our lives? How does this raise us up, the next generation of pastors, teachers, evangelists, etc., etc., musicians, worshippers, people expanding their spiritual gifts? So we're going to keep doing this. We're going to pray, and then we're going to break for some morning tea.